0: Alright, so go ahead and open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, specifically verse 21, alright? Chapter 4, verse 21, open your Bibles there. Please, on May 12th of 2019, 2019 I kicked off our study of Philippians with a message titled, Simply, An Introduction to Philippians. Today, June 14th of 2020, Today is my final message. So, a little over a year, uh, this will be my final message from Philippians, and it's titled A Gospel Filled Farewell. A Gospel Filled Farewell. The last three verses of the letter, or verses 21 through 23 of chapter 4, are commonly referred to as final greetings. Final greetings. In fact, you'll likely see that chapter heading in your uh, trans- Bible translation for this section. What I hope to do with these final greetings is uh, encourage and enrich you uh, this morning as I show you how these verses draw on and point us to the wonderful realities of the gospel or the good and glorious news concerning Jesus Christ because that's what the gospel is. As we look closer at these three verses together, I want to talk to you about uh, four things: gospel identity, gospel relations, gospel power, and gospel blessings. All right. So, uh, with that intro, let's go ahead and read the text. I'll read it first in the ESV, which is the the uh, translation we we use at Summit Bible Church, and then I'm going to also read it in the NLT. Uh, because I found it to be helpful as well. And I'll make reference back to it as we dive into the passage of the text. So here we are. Chapter 4, verse 21. Let's read the text in the ESV first. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's it. That's just three verses. uh Not a lot, but there's good content, really important content here in in these three short verses. Here's how it's translated in the NLT, beginning in verse 21. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be, be with your spirit. All right, let's dive in. Greet. I'm um, just a couple of points here uh, concerning the uh, the first verse. Greet every saint. Right, that's how it is in the ESV. Greet every saint. The uh, the ESVs greet every saint. Every specifically, or the NLTs give my greeting to each. To each. That's how it is in the uh, NLT of God's holy people. Every or to each instead of, as you'll find in the NIV, greet, which is a, another popular translation, and a good translation, but instead of what you find there, which is greet all the saints, okay, as the NIV has it, um, the ESV and the NLT, in my opinion, are, are better or preferred translations in this case because the grammar used by Paul, and we see there in the Greek, behind the English, uh, the grammar indicates that each member of the community individually as opposed to the the community lumped together as a whole were to be given Paul's greetings. Uh, let me explain it this way. The, uh, the idea being communicated is not you know just gather them all together and give them my greetings in one big setting but I want you to go to each and every one of the members individually and give them my greetings the imperative or the command that's translated greet in the ESV or give my greetings in the NLT, that command was likely directed toward the leaders of the church or the elders and deacons who are addressed, as we see there, in the opening, uh, the very opening of the letter. So at the end of the letter, Paul is asking the leaders of the church to to pass on his greetings to each member of the church individually give my greetings so what does that mean give my greetings uh is it any is there any similarity when we're trying to understand what that means greetings is there any similarity to what a a Walmart uh for instance greeter does right uh, according to uh, Wikipedia, uh, a Walmart greeter is a Walmart employee whose whose role is to uh, wait at the front door of a Walmart store and offer a a warm hello uh, to all shoppers who enter. All right, that's a a Walmart greeter. Definition of a Walmart greeter. Churches will often uh, also have a, a a greeter's ministry of sorts, right? And the folks who are part of that, that ministry are tasked with doing something uh, similar to what the Walmart greeter uh, has, or is asked to do, right? Greeters uh, for a church might be asked to uh, help people who are arriving there to the church to feel welcome. You know, make them feel welcome, uh, loved even. Um, they might be asked to, to give things like this, give them a warm reception all this kind of comes under the umbrella of of greeting right uh, embrace them uh, either literally or figuratively embrace them receive them with open arms it's those kind of things when you when we think about greeting or a, a greeting ministry or or even greeters at a at a business like walmart greeters is that Similar, though, in some way, to what Paul, as we think about those things in greeting, is that in some way similar to what Paul is asking the leaders at the church in Philippi to do? And in a way, the answer is yes, in a way. It is, it is similar. Uh, Greek scholars tell us that the, the basic meaning, the basic meaning of the, the Greek word translated "greet." In our text, uh, the basic meaning of that word appears to be embrace. Embrace. That's, the, that's its basic meaning. Uh, the Greek definition is, is, or one Greek definition of the word is to enfold in the arms, to enfold in the arms, and so by implication, to welcome, to welcome, to embrace, to greet. Uh, and if you were thinking about our English word "embrace," it, it you can find a definition for that word that says this: uh, it is to hold closely in one's arms, especially as a sign of affection. So, it's it's making it's 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 sending warm a uh, warm welcome or or or, or uh, f- giving them a feeling of being embraced or or uh, showing affection in some way, you know. We're glad you're here. It's that kind of thing. So, in this case, uh, Paul's not standing outside in front of a a Walmart store. He's not in a greeter ministry. He's asking his greetings to be uh, given individually to each member of the church there in Philippi by the leaders of that church. And the idea is again, it's this basic idea of send them my warm embrace, if you will, or give my warm and affectionate greeting to each and every one that's that's the basic idea so please make sure that you go to every member and give to them my warm and affectionate uh greeting uh, embrace them if you will for me since i'm not there to do it myself but it's not i i, I we went through all that but it's not the greeting okay that i want to focus on I wanted to cover that for you, but it's not the greeting I wanted to focus on, but rather how he describes each member of the church that he tells its leaders to give his greetings to. So how does he describe them? How does he describe them? He describes every one of them as, and look back at the text, as saints in Christ Jesus in the ESV. Saints in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's other ways he could have described them, but this is how he chose to describe them, as saints in Christ Jesus. Or as the the NLT puts it, as God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. Or, Or you could say it this way, he describes them as God's holy people, saints, because they belong to Christ Jesus. And in looking at that, I wanted to talk to you about and draw out from that gospel identity gospel identity. Who are we? Who are we in Christ Jesus? Who are we because of our saving relationship with Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ? Uh, before being in Christ, according to the scriptures, we were in Adam. And as such, being in Adam, we were condemned and ruined Sinners. But now that we Christians are in Christ and because of Christ, we are redeemed and regenerated saints. No longer condemned and ruined sinners, but redeemed and regenerated saints because of Christ. We are God's holy people. That's who we are. That's our identity. Christ is the one responsible for us being the holy people of God. Christ is the sole basis for rightly calling believers or Christians saints or God's holy people. Being a saint is based solely and I'm saying the same thing in different ways, but being a saint is based solely on a transforming relationship with Christ. This, beloved, is, is gospel identity. And uh, like with many things, we can have identity amnesia. We, we can forget or not remember who we, who we really are as a result of our relationship saving relationship with Jesus Christ according to what God's word says, which is true and trustworthy. It is critical, my brothers and sisters, that we always remember who we indeed are because of Christ. So I want to take that opportunity here in this passage to to just do that, to, to recall those things. What is true because of the gospel that we have uh, believed and embraced. The word saints is a a title Paul repeatedly used to refer to Christians, while the term Christians is only used three times in the scriptures to refer to the followers of Christ. Yet, that's the term that we most often, generally speaking, use to refer uh, to one another or to followers of Christ. In fact, saints is used over 60 times in the New Testament to describe the followers of Christ. So the term Christian three, the term saints, over 60 times. And saints, as it is used in the New Testament, is, is not a special designation for a few select people uh, who have lived extraordinary lives of virtue, or or a title uh, for one who is uh, especially kind or moral, you know. So someone might say, "Oh, they, he or she is such a saint," and it's usually referring to they're they, they're so kind or they've gone out of their way to be a, a very good person or something of that nature. That's that's not how we should understand the term saint as it's used in the New Testament to describe followers of Christ. The Christian does not and cannot achieve sainthood uh, through their efforts or their good behavior. That's not how this works. Rather, we are made and declared saints by God through our saving, justifying, reconciling, redeeming, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, used as an adjective for all Christians, not a select few, not a special group, means holy or dedicated to God. Dedicated to God or set apart to and for God. Set apart to and for God. It is through Christ Jesus that we who have believed and are his followers have been consecrated or set apart to be God's people. We are, because of Christ, God's holy and special possession. We were a ruined and Helpless humanity in Adam, but we are a rescued and redeemed and new humanity in Christ, saved to be God's holy people, saved to be saints. And being God's holy people, beloved, we are expected and empowered by Christ to live for God and his glory, both now, right now, and forevermore, for all eternity. We are expected and empowered to to live as the holy people We are in Christ. One author commenting on the idea of sainthood said this, God never goes to a sinner and tells him to try to attain to sainthood. Rather, he picks us out of the mud and he says, You are a saint we are not making believe we are holy because of Christ and may and must live rather in accordance with our position or with our new identity in Christ this the writer says is never attained by striving but rather by taking possession of sainthood Remembering our position or our identity and living in accordance with it. Living in accordance with our new identity that we have in Christ. You might remember this passage, right, as we think about these things from Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, but sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Who is he talking to? Christians. Saints. Those in Christ. And then he adds this final line. As is proper among saints. These things must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints. Saints, Let me read it to you in the NIV, same passage, Ephesians 5, verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, the very people who have been rescued in Christ so that they might be set apart to and for God. Dedicated to him and for his glorious and righteous purposes. What is proper for saints? That's the question we should always be asking because you know why? We are saints in Christ. We have been dedicated, consecrated, set apart to God that we might live for him and according to him and his ways. What kind of behavior or attitudes or or actions are proper, beloved, for those who have been, as I said, set apart? Set apart from, listen, this broken and ruined and sinful world. By God's grace. Set apart to God and for God. Set apart to serve God. Right? Not set apart, there you go, just leave you over there. No, set apart to serve him, to to bring him glory. And and is there something, let me ask you, and is is there something better (laughs) than that for humanity to do? Is there something better than to serve God Almighty and bring Him glory? Beloved, we we were created for that very thing. Sin entered in and ruined that very thing. But the Redeemer, the Savior, rescues us That we might give ourselves to the very thing that we were created to do. To be God's holy people. Set apart to and for him. To serve him. To live for him. To honor him. And to bring him glory. I mentioned earlier um Walmart. <laughs> right? So I, I'll bring it back up again. The employee at Walmart, I might imagine, he's new and he um he's been given, you know, his duties, but he's he maybe asks someone, Hey, so what am I supposed to do? And he goes to the supervisor and the supervisor doesn't know and he says, Well, what's your title? What title have you been given? What role are you playing here? And he says, Well, I'm I'm a greeter. I'm a greeter. So Because he's a greeter, he knows that there are certain things that he should be doing, there are certain things he shouldn't be doing. There are things that are proper, there are things that are improper, right? So he would tell him, all right, because you're a greeter, these are the things we want you to do. This is proper behavior uh, for a greeter. But different from the Walmart greeter, when, when the Walmart greeter shift is over, they're no longer a greeter, right? they That's no longer their identity. It's temporary. Beloved, being a saint is not a part-time identity, although some seem to treat it that way. It's not a part-time identity. Being in Christ, you are and you remain and you forever will be a saint. And in light of that, you are called to live according to that identity. You are to act and behave and to think in a way that is proper for one who has been dedicated to God, set apart to Him and for Him, for the purposes of honoring Him, and glorifying Him. I would also add that the identity, as we think about identities and our identity in Christ of being saints, it should really, it should fill our hearts with pure joy. Because of Christ, because of Him, I who was once a sinner and alienated from God. I was an enemy of God, according to the scriptures, lost in darkness, rebellious, but because of Christ, no more. I have been reconciled to God, and I belong to Him. He has brought me to Himself and set me apart for His good purposes he has made me his through christ and i now have the great honor because that's what it is and privilege because that's what it is of living for my creator living for my god the supreme one is there any greater honor than that no beloved in our foolishness we might think so at times. But it's just that. Foolishness. Gospel identity. How about gospel relations? Look at verse 21, the second half of it. Paul goes on to say, the brothers who are with me greet you. Alright, so Paul sends his greetings. Now he says, the brothers who are with me greet you. So I'm sending you my greetings and so are the brothers that are with me. Brothers as you know, and depending on the context, brothers can be referring to just masculine, uh, male brothers, Christians. They can also be referring to brothers and sisters. But in this case, it's likely just brothers, masculine. Brothers, as you know, is, uh, like I said, it's, it's another uh, term in the Bible for Christians. And, and he chooses this term, brothers, when referring to those who were with him. And he is most likely referring to those that are with him, he's referring to his immediate circle of associates or the co-workers or companions that were closely involved with Paul in his gospel ministry and were there in Rome with him at the time that he wrote, authored this letter. Now, uh, there is speculation about which brothers specifically Paul was talking about. I think it's safe to say it certainly would have included Timothy and maybe Luke as well. Uh, but Paul doesn't provide names, right? He doesn't provide the names. He just says the brothers. But what he uh, he does, yeah, he just refers to them as the brothers. But here's what I want to draw out from that. In what sense are these close Christian co-workers and companions of Paul's brothers in what sense are they brothers I know you probably already know the answer but I just want to work our way through it okay are they brothers in the sense that a military man might call the other men in his unit his brothers right these are my these are my brothers Are they his brothers and, you know, we work uh, side by side with each other. We're a special unit. Uh, We care for one another. We protect each other. These are my brothers. Is it in that sense? It's not. It's not in that sense. Is it in the sense that someone might refer to someone as brother uh, in order to imply the actual relationship even though it doesn't really exist? Yeah, that's my brother over there. He's like a brother to me. Or we just call him a brother, right? But But he's actually not his brother. Is it in that sense? It is not. It is not in that sense that Paul uses the term brothers. Paul does not speak of some fictive kinship or kinship that is not real or true. Paul's Christian co-workers that he referred to are his brothers in a very real sense. But not because they, as you know, I hope, belong to the same human father, not for that reason, but rather it is because, listen, through saving faith in Christ, they have, along with Paul, become children of the same divine father children of God, children of God, in a real and true sense. They are indeed Paul's brothers, and they are the brothers. They are the brothers of the Christians there in Philippi as well. As we read in John one twelve, it says there, but to all who did receive him in reference to Christ, who believed in his name, again in reference to Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. One must become a child of God. They are not naturally born children of God, but become children of God according to the Scriptures through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26 says this, more specifically, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. It is in Christ Jesus that you are all sons of God through faith. The Bible, beloved, does not teach that we are all, as I said, all children of God by default, even though that is the common mindset or thinking Uh, that we find around us or in the world. But rather, we must be adopted into the family of God through faith in the one and only Savior, God's divine Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the way. In fact, while having a dispute, just a further prove this point out, while having a dispute with the re- Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, Jesus denied, okay, these are the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, Jesus denied that God was their father. Remember, the Pharisees rejected Christ. They rejected Jesus. And he denied that God was their father and instead told them that the devil was there father john eight forty two. jesus said to them if god were your father because they were claiming god is our father if god were your father you would love me for i came from god and i am here i came not of my own accord but he sent me why do you not understand what i say jesus says it is because you cannot bear to hear my word you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires that's christ that's jesus this distinction between the children of god and the children of the devil is also noted in 1 john and there we find this in 1 john chapter 3 verse 10 by this it is evident who are the children of god and who are the children of the devil there you go those are the two camps both exist He says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. The implication is, they are of the devil. They are children of the devil. God is not their father. Every genuine Christian, every person who has a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, those persons are in a very real sense brothers and sisters. But why? Because they have in Christ the same divine daddy. The same divine daddy. In in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. I'll pick it up in verse 1. Just listen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to the church, he's saying these things, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then verse four, there is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Now listen, concerning that verse, verse 6, one God and Father of all, remember who he's writing to Christians, who is over all and through all and in all, one commentator says this, this statement refers to God the Father and his relationship to all believers. The fourfold use of all refers to all believers, not all mankind. Certainly these characteristics are not common to all people. God is the father of all. All who believe. And not just some random uh, undefined belief, but it's belief or faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Belief in the gospel. He goes on to say, they are his children. God is the father of all who believe. They, those who believe, are his children. And he is over all of them as their sovereign. He lives through them and manifest himself in them. Beloved, listen, when uh when speaking about when we speak about being brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? We might talk about uh the sp- the very special relationship that is and that then sh- that it should be and 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 that is all well and good, for sure, right? We are we're not like uh pretending to be, we are indeed, we have this unique relationship. We are brothers and sisters, even though we we didn't have the same human father, right? We are, in if we're in Christ, brothers and sisters. And so that there's um uh, there's implications for that as how we how we should relate to one another and care for one another and look out for one another and support one another and so on and so forth. And that again, that is good that we talk about those things hey you and i we are if you're in christ i'm in christ and you're a guy you're my brother you're not just another guy you're my brother in christ and uh, this lady over here she if she's in christ she's my sister she's just not some person she's she's my sister and so that there's implications then for how i should relate to her or him and how they to me and so on and so forth but i i want to call what i'm looking to do is call attention to the fact that christians are are truly brothers and sisters because because of this, because God is the father of all who believe. When we as Christians refer to each other then, whether I'm saying it to you, hey brother, or you're saying it back to me or sister, when we refer to each other as brothers and sisters, here's what I would love for you to do. Let your mind run to this reality. Why? Why am I doing this? Why is this the case? Why am I calling them brother and sister? Is it just out of habit? Is it just something we do? Is it just a, you know, a tradition? No, no, it's expressing a reality that points to the fact that you and I have the same divine daddy through Christ. And only because of Christ. And... Focus on the fact that God is now, indeed, he was not, but he is now, after coming to Christ, he is now, indeed, our Father. He's our Father. God is my Father. And this is, this is a Father, there is no Father like this Father. You know, we have human fathers, we're coming up on Father's Day, we're going uh, to acknowledge fatherhood and, and uh, you know, get gifts and do all those things that we do around the, uh, the tradition. And some of us have had uh, good fathers and some of us not so good and maybe some have had superb fathers and some have had really bad fathers because they're earthly fathers and they are imperfect and sometimes really imperfect, right? Uh, but God, when we think about father, right, God the Father, who is our Father now, and every time we we refer to each other as as brothers and sisters, this should flood into our minds. He is perfect in his fathering. He is perfect in all of his ways. I, when I'm counseling a a, a dad or a father, and I talk about you know some of the things that he should be, uh, not only as uh, as a husband but also as a father, right? Kind of both uh i i use these th- uh three ideas protector he's to be the protector of the family uh of his wife his children of uh, the provider this, uh and also the priest uh he's to 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 care for them to watch out for them to uh, uh, keep them from harm to do his very best to keep them from harm uh what would harm them he is to provide uh, for their needs uh, so they have what they need materially, and, and I would say in other ways, too, emotionally and so on and so forth. And And he's to be their priest. He's to instruct them uh, in the scriptures and in the ways of God. Listen, we have as our father, so we all have human fathers. We couldn't have got into the world without one. But in Christ, we have as our father now the ultimate father, the divine protector and divine provider, and divine, if you will, priest. Um, Think on those things, beloved. When you think about even uh, this upcoming Father's Day, and then again, as we refer to one another, you know, just kind of so casually sometimes, probably too, hey brother, hey sister, which I understand, but let the, the reality of that Have have your mind. He's my brother. I can call him that. Uh, he legitimately is so. For the same reason, I would legitimately call someone else my brother because we have the same father, right? Uh, I we have the same father. Who is that father? Who is that ultimate protector who calls me and provider and care one who cares for me in in the most perfect and righteous way who looks out for me who loves me perfectly that's the one who is my father and his father i am his son and she is his daughter let those things uh, flood your mind so we have gospel relations and then we move to gospel power gospel power all right that's in verse 22 All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's the verse, all right, if you look back at it. Paul sends his greetings, right? We saw that. Paul's close companions there with him send their greetings. We saw that. And now all the other saints or church members there in the place of Paul's captivity or in the city of his imprisonment, they send their greetings. But Paul adds the words, especially those... Of Caesar's household, uh, especially those saints or Christians of Caesar's household. All the saints greet you, but especially those saints of Caesar's household. Or as the NET uh, has it, especially those saints or Christians or those who belong. Uh, I, I like that translation a little bit better. You'll understand why in a second. Belong to Caesar's household. Caesar was the title given to the all powerful emperor of the Roman Empire, okay? The great Roman Empire at the time. Those of Caesar's household, that phrase, is not a reference to members of Caesar's family, you know, thinking like his son or his kids or his wife or something like that, but rather it is a reference to those slaves and freed slaves, they would be referred to as freedmen, uh, of the emperor, (coughs) who were uh, government servants, if you will, government servants. They were, uh, to, to say it another way, they were on the emperor's staff, okay? They belonged to Caesar's household. One writer says this, These members of Caesar's household functioned as managers of the properties and enterprises of the emperor throughout the empire. Some members of Caesar's household were involved in the administration of the government. They served as civil servants under imperial direction. All right. So that's, that's who we need to be thinking about when uh, Paul says that uh, some who belong to Caesar's household uh, have sent you greetings as well. Especially, he actually says, especially those of Caesar's household send you greetings. Now let me remind you of something we learned, so keep that in mind, but now let me remind you of something we learned earlier or we read earlier in uh, the first chapter of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, if you can flip back there if you'd like, or I'll just read it to you, beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul uh, tells the church of Philippi this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and he's talking about his imprisonment in Rome, it has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Word is spreading. Paul's there. He's locked up, but the gospel continues to abound. It continues to go forth. Paul didn't stop preaching. He's still preaching. He's still making the gospel known, and he says, listen, Concerning why I'm here, they know it's spread throughout the whole imperial guard uh, that I'm here because of Christ, and along with that, they would have heard or known of the gospel that Paul was advancing. That's why he's there. That's what got him into trouble in the first place and got him uh, thrown in to under or put under house arrest there in Rome. Now listen, having said all that, I agree with, what, uh, with uh, one Bible commentator when he says this about verse 22. And Paul's comment, listen, Paul's comment, especially those of Caesar's household. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Okay, remember where Paul is, and uh, remember to whom he's writing. Okay, it's a Roman colony, Philippi. He says this, Paul wants the Philippians to know that his imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel. We see that in one twelve. Even the imperial guard heard the gospel. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 13. As a result, Paul can claim that members of Caesar's household are saints who send their greetings to the saints in Philippi. These simple greetings bear an implicit message to the Philippians. And here it is. Imperial power. And it was great power. Imperial power cannot stop the power of the gospel. I love that. I love that. He goes on to say even while Paul in a Roman prison and the believers in Philippi are suffering under imperial authorities, so both Paul is suffering under the Roman authorities and the Philippians as well, living in a Roman colony with a lot of Roman citizens there who were loyal to Caesar. <laughs> They also are suffering persecution because remember what the gospel calls for, right? I will not bow to anyone as Lord except Jesus Christ, but Caesar demands that all bow to him as Lord. So there's this tension and there's uh persecution and suffering uh, in communities where you have these in these, these Roman citizens and those who are are bowing to Caesar as Lord and and the Christians are saying, we're not going to do that. In fact, there is no, no Lord but Christ. And so that created the conflict. Let me come back to it. These simple greetings bear an implicit message to the Philippians. Imperial power cannot stop the power of the gospel. Even while Paul in a Roman prison and the believers in Philippi are suffering under imperial authorities, the gospel is claiming the allegiance of imperial agents. I love it. I love it. This almighty power on the earth of the great Roman Empire, and Caesar, who does as he pleases and can and can just call for one's death and it, it's granted immediately and and commands people to obey and so on and so forth. You think this power is so overwhelming, and yet all the while the gospel is advancing the gospel, which is uh contrary to Caesar and what he believes, stands against him, and he stands against the gospel it's advancing, it's making headway. In fact, in fact, w- those within Caesar's uh, very household, if you will, will are uh, being converted and changing their allegiances from Caesar to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't stop it. You can't stop the gospel. It's all the more powerful. It is the work of God unto salvation. Another writer says this. The significance of this greeting could hardly be lost on the Philippian believers. Listen to what he says. Opposition to whom in part at least stems from the fact that Philippi is a Roman colony where devotion to Caesar had a long history right there in Philippi. And it certainly had a a strong history there in Rome, uh, the city itself. He goes on to say, besides having the gospel in common and now suffering for Christ in common, Paul and the Philippians also have a common source of opposition. While the Philippians suffer at the hands of Roman citizens loyal to Caesar, Paul is an actual prisoner of Caesar. <laughs> but in making him a prisoner at the heart of the empire, Rome has brought in a member of the opposition who is in the process of creating a fifth column. And I didn't, it's in quotes, and I didn't know what a fifth column was, so I had to look it up. But simply, it's this. It's any group of people who undermine a larger group from within, a fifth column. He goes on to say, Paul has either found or has made disciples of the Lord Jesus among members of the imperial household who are thus on the Philippian side in the struggle against those who proclaim Caesar as Lord, he goes on to say this about the apostle Paul himself. He says, "Let him loose, and he will be among those who turn the world upside down," as we, uh, as we see in Acts seventeen six. Those who are uh, preaching Christ; these are these are those are turning the world upside down, right? He says, uh, he will turn the world upside down for his Christ, but incarcerate him too close to home and he will turn Caesar's household upside down. (laughs) I love it as well, right? Thus, here is a word of encouragement to the Philippians in the midst of their present struggle. The word of life to which they hold firm in the midst of their crooked and perverse generation has already penetrated the heart of the empire. They have brothers and sisters in Caesar's own household who are on their side, and now send them greetings. Gospel power, beloved. Imperial, I love that statement, imperial power cannot stop the power of the gospel. No power, no earthly power can stop the power of the gospel. Of the gospel. And that needs to be our, our hope and our confidence. I don't, regardless of what's going on or how dire the situation looks, and sometimes it looks really dire, I can tell you this nothing will stop the advancement of the gospel. It will go forth. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what he said in Matthew 16 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it christ has been faithfully and continually building his church and he will continue to do that and he does that through the preaching of the gospel you know that's the other thing the gospel message the the people in that day and even today they say what a pathetic message you you know especially the the Romans and the pagans your God you wanna you present a God who died what kind of God is that and yet and yet we know what kind of God that is that would give Himself for His creation in that way and we don't see it that way we see it as it truly is and we have believed and the gospel continues to advance one individual at a time as he embraces it and then in love with it shares it with another human being and god working in and through all that drawing men and women to himself from every tribe and tongue and nation until god saves the last of his elect the gospel continues to advance it is powerful so that's gospel power How about gospel blessing this is it come to this now gospel blessing verse 23 the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit i'm sorry go back to the text the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit or with the spirit oh you could say or with the spirit of each one of you it's also that sense it's not like a common spirit it's if you look at the greek it the grace of the lord jesus christ be with the spirit of each one of you that's what he's saying so what is this verse? Well, scholars refer to this verse as a benediction. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's a benediction. A, a benediction was and it is a blessing that is pronounced at the conclusion of a religious service. It's a blessing that is pronounced at the conclusion of a religious service, and it came to be uh, used in letters as well. They would they would uh, provide a benediction in the written letter, uh, so it was. It brought finality to the letter and offered a blessing. Uh, to the readers, or the recipients of the letter. As scholars point out, um, they call this a grace benediction, As you and you can see why, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace benediction was a frequent and formally consistent element in Paul's endings. In other words, if you go back and you look at Paul's other New Testament letters, you'll find uh, something very similar to this grace benediction, this blessing, um, pronounced uh, on the readers or recipients of the letter that occurred at the uh, end of the letter. Another writer says this, those benedictions which close his letters usually focus on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's letters. And then he says this, this phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, describes not the character or quality of Jesus, but something he shows and does. All right? He shows grace. He, he does grace, if you will. He shows grace. He does grace. He acts in grace. And he shows grace. To who? To his people. To all those who are in him. To Christians. To the saints. To the people, the holy people of God. Jesus Christ extends, shows, gives grace. One writer says, and grace is really really God's unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness. One writer says, His grace, Christ's grace, the grace that He gives and He shows, is the remedy for every human need. It's found in grace, which is found in Christ, received through Christ. He goes on to say, Jesus' grace reveals all his glories, his power, his helpfulness, his riches, and makes them available, his grace his glories to his people. Let me say that again. Jesus' grace reveals all his glories, which are his power, his helpfulness, his riches, as an example, and makes them available to his people. Grace, the writer says, is an all-sufficient supply. Grace is Jesus being gracious. We, he says, constantly need grace. Boy, we do. And it comes to us through Christ. Only in him. Only in him. Christ. Are there sufficient strength and heavenly riches to meet our needs? And meet them he does. Gospel identity in review. Christians are saints. We are God's holy people because of Jesus Christ. Don't get identity amnesia. Don't forget who you are and the implications of that for your entire life because you are in Christ. Set apart unto God and for God to live for Him, to glorify Him, to honor Him with all that you are and and really all that you are in Christ. Gospel relations, Christians are related to one another as brothers and sisters because they, through Jesus Christ, all now have God himself as their father, as their father. They are his sons and daughters. And this father is perfect in all his ways. He will care for us. He loves us. He will protect us. He will provide us. For us, the things that we need, he will guide us into the ways of righteousness, into the ways of blessing. He is a perfect father. And he is ours because of Christ. Gospel power, no earthly power can stop the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ will do exactly what he is doing and will do exactly what he said he was going to do. He will build his church. He is building his church. He is advancing his fame throughout all the earth. The preaching of the gospel that some people think is foolish or weak or ridiculous, but all who are being saved know it is the power of God unto salvation. Gospel blessing, the grace we so desperately need, is amply found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, uh, Lord, for this letter, as I did last week as well, and uh, so rich, so many things to draw from it and to be taught by it. and uh, Lord, could just continue uh, to work in us, continue to work through us uh, for according to your plan and for your good purposes, and might we rejoice in the great privilege it is uh, to be your children, and and to be used by you and, and to be uh, a servant of yours and to be called to live uh, for you and to bring you great glory. And, and uh, Father, that's indeed a privilege. Help us to see it rightly, that we might rejoice in these things and, um, and be encouraged by all of them. We ask your blessing, Father, on us, our church, uh, the world, on all the churches everywhere, the true churches, but just, Father, also on our, on our world, we uh, ask you to continue to work powerfully uh, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is really the only hope uh, that the world has, and, and it's the only fix uh, for its uh, problem with sin. We ask this all in uh, Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.